everyone. Welcome to the Sus Coaching Podcast, episode number two. Today, we're going to talk everything about sleep. Why do we sleep? How do you fall asleep? What happens when you're sleeping? And most importantly, how is sleep good for athletics and how can you improve yours? So I didn't get the memo that we're supposed to be wearing workout shorts for every vlog that we do. So I'm in my hang around the house clothes and you seem to be wearing another uh, workout shirt in the many that we have. Well, I was in a stained t-shirt, so I figured I should probably change into something. And this just was the first thing on top. Yeah, you, uh, you spill on yourself quite often, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> All right, so we've had a busy week. You had a great workout today. I had an okay workout, but yeah, I got uh, some a 15-minute threshold workout in. It was fun. And your pace during that 15-minute threshold interval was? Uh, it was only a six-minute mile, but we're up here at 8,500 feet, so yeah. I subtract about 25, 26 seconds, depending on what you look at. So. Yeah, I subtract like four minutes. <laughs> I don't like to think that my times have gone down that much, but... <laughs> Yep, and a busy week, had a couple things going on, um, built some things today, building a bench for our sunroom, which is awesome, and another news, got the COVID vaccine this week, which yeah, is really exciting, and hopefully um, will benefit my future health. Um, it's really great to, you know, live in a country that gives us that immediate, um, maybe not too immediate, but uh, those health options right off the bat and just lucky to have gotten the first dose and within a month be getting the second dose for optimal immunization. <laughs> I'll get mine eventually. Yeah, you know. You're more special than I am. Uh, apparently. <laughs> so what do you have going on this week? Well, not much. Did workouts and uh, made some food. That's about it. Yeah. Did a little work, but that's been relatively calm yeah well another news we got our uh our first podcast and our vlog up uh online and uh i'll let you talk a bit about the the stats we saw come in um once we launched uh today which is wednesday um yeah. we've been putting it on instagram and want to thank anyone who's been sharing for us and spreading the news for us because that's the only way that we're going to get um, any sort of following and be able to share all this information with the widest possible audience is our followers so anyone who shared or um, talked about this for us thank you so much um but what about our website what what kind of yeah the website's had some really good interaction so really appreciate everyone for reaching out and we're working to get the podcast spread out to more sites. We just got the exciting news today that we're now officially on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, and working to get that up on uh, Audible and Pandora. Uh, Spotify will take a little bit longer just based on their process, Google Podcasts, but we're working to get this out to wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, we have it up on our website and then the vlog on YouTube super exciting and we've got new microphones that we hope will give us a little better of a sound quality for this next podcast um so we'll, we'll test it out for the next few but um excited to have a little bit better technology to bring us into the podcast age yes and you don't have to look at me or nicole waving the microphone back and forth <laughs> yeah. between each other yeah um, but all right, uh, I got a couple of uh, feedbacks, feedbacks, uh, pieces of feedback this week. Um, right after we launched, putting up kind of the teasers for the podcast that uh, our conversation about racing weight was uh, well received. People liked hearing about uh, the fact that weight isn't everything um, in sport or if you're an athlete or a weekend warrior. Uh, it, it's not as heavy of an item as. Um, I some, see what you did there. Yeah, see what I did there. Uh, it's not as heavy as an item that um, some people make it out to be. So um, with all of that, we decided to go um, down a slightly different route, but still a uh, broad um, category of podcast topic that we'll be returning to, I'm sure, plenty. Um, and something that's been really, I want to say near and dear to our hearts, because um, we found that it is 100% uh, one of our go-tos for better performance, go-tos for recovery, go-tos for um, great race day, great marathon day, what have you. So I'll let you kick it off. You can do the honors. 
Well, let's take uh, an example for uh, from a different sporting world than we look at. But you take an athlete who is performing extremely well, but you know they're getting a little older. They're winning some of their version of the uh, of international championships, and they've done quite well at a significant number of those. But they're getting a little older, and you know maybe not moving quite as quickly. But then. We uh <laughs> yeah, I've been laughing because I always thought you as the old man in the relationship, so I just think of you talking about yourself right now. I mean you're older. <laughs> you're getting a little older, you're slowing down, you're not slowing down, but <laughs> Well, this athlete decided to try and extend their career. They focused on one thing and that was sleep. And this athlete increased the number of hours that they slept and they really focused on the quality of sleep and and this athlete is Roger Federer, who is, for those who don't know, he's a, an amazing tennis player who has had an incredibly long career and uh, won an insane number of uh, Grand Slam titles. And for uh, the tennis buffs in our audience, please, I apologize for butchering Roger's story, but uh, what an amazing athlete and a, a really good example of how sleep can really affect what you do in life. So what is it that he did that ultimately gave him an edge over his competition? He increased his sleep. He really focused on quality sleep and quantity of sleep. And by doing that, he was able to recover better. And because he was recovering better, he's able to train more. And I think that's a parallel for endurance athletes as well, because especially in the triathlon world, you know, volume is not a physical limiter, you know, for runners running more than like 120 miles a week is going to beat you up pretty good. And if you're running that kind of volume, then you're probably doing it fairly quickly. You know, your total hours aren't really limiting you. You're capped out by the duration or by the distance. But uh, for triathletes, that is not the same. You can work out a really large number of hours because cycling and swimming are no impact. Right. So that means if you're going to do back to back hard sessions or a larger number of hard sessions, you know, the better you can recover, then the better you can train, the more training and the more hard key training you can get in, the better you perform. So. I mean, that's why blood doping and EPO doping is a thing. It's not because it makes you perform better by itself. It's because it helps you recover faster. Right. Right. And it seems that every magazine out there today is out to give athletes, especially the athlete-driven magazines, are out to give them the best recovery, whether that's the the boots that you put on that inflate, like the Normatec boots or the, the Hypervolts, the guns that massage your muscles or all sorts of these tools that... Um, you know, we, we don't really know they provide us a an edge in our recovery, uh, but there has been limited research, and the research that we um, have looked at has said there's only two things that help us recover um, to our max capacity, and those are... Those are sleep and float tanks. Yeah. And a uh, great book on that is Good to Go, uh, all about athletic recovery. What's the author's name? Uh, I'll get it for you. Hold on. You can... Uh... Well, while Nicole is pulling up uh, our author's name, sorry to need to give credit where credit is due, but uh, sleep is definitely our discussion topic today because, I mean, if you can... Instead of paying a few hundred dollars for a Theragun or for whatever cryo treatment or anything like that, or suffering through a cold bath or alternating hot and cold showers, sleep. Sleep is free, sleep is easy, and it works pretty good. So I think that's a really important uh, aspect that we'll talk about. So what we're gonna do, um, first we'll talk a little bit about some of the benefits of sleep, and then after that, we'll talk a little bit through the mechanics of how we sleep, why we sleep, and the way that we sleep. And then finally, we'll talk a little bit about sleep hygiene and how it's, you can maybe alter the quality of your sleep, as well as talk a little bit about the quantity of sleep. I'm sorry, what's the author or the book's name again? Good to go. Good to go, that's right. I've read it too. <laughs> no, I didn't remember that. Uh, that's... Uh, Christy Ashwanden. I'm hoping I'm saying her name right. Um, we'll put a link we'll in the description. In mm -hmm. And uh, so first we'll talk a little bit about what sleep does for you and what good sleep can do for you and what bad sleep or not enough sleep can take from you. Nicole, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. So um, I, and I totally blanked out. So if you said this already, I'm sorry. I was looking at for that author's name. But um, so... 
uh, we're starting sleep is one of those topics that you know people hear about all the time but no one really takes it seriously no one goes oh yeah the magazine i read they said i should be getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night and i should have good sleep hygiene and i should make my bedroom temperature this month no one goes to that to that extent um with the exception of the few who understand what it is to get a good night's sleep with good sleep hygiene and then wakes up the next morning feeling super refreshed, ready for a workout, ready for work, ready for taking care of the kids, taking them to school, etc. Um, so if you're an athlete and you're listening to this, um, consider sleep now your number one priority for everything else. I mean, it tops nutrition, it tops, um, you know, working out volume, distance, mileage. Um, Sleep should be your number one. This is how you recover the best. And the science really shows that. And I'm excited because Jake has a lot of good sciencey tidbits about why that, why that helps us out. and the lack of sleep comes in a whole bunch of different, um, a whole bunch of different forms. Um, and kind of bouncing back to our last podcast about racing weight and weight fluctuations, sleep can absolutely affect your weight. Um, due mostly to the cravings that you wake up to if you get three hours of sleep and all you crave is sugary food. You're gonna eat that sugary food because it makes you feel good and then the weight's gonna come, the weight's gonna fluctuate. Um, Odds are you're not gonna be hydrating and your butt is just gonna get out of whack. Um, Decreased performance, obviously, if you're getting two to three hours a night, even six or seven hours a night and your volume is still high, your decreased performance is just gonna be right there at the top of your charts and you're gonna notice it right away. And I put on my little outline here, the slew of altered emotional states. Um, And I think I can speak the best from experience in that one. If I don't get enough sleep, I know it. Um, It's immediate when I wake up. I don't wake up refreshed. I wake up feeling cranky. I'm sure plenty of our audience can relate to that, especially the women. Um, But the emotional states, you know, regulating our um, our emotions throughout the day, how we react to things. It's no longer within our control if we're only getting four hours, five hours of sleep at night. Um, and I'm also excited for Jake's piece too on having, you know, even say we go from eight hours a night for five nights a week and we think that's enough and we feel good on that sleep. But one night we get two hours because X because insert your own example here, how that affects us just in that day. We think we're okay, but in all honesty, our our brain doesn't see that we've had five days of really nice sleep. It just sees that night of two hours of sleep. Um, So with all that, you know, uh, in mind, we're going to jump to the um, to Jake's piece on uh, how sleep benefits us and what it does for us and all the good things about sleep so that you feel more inclined to get a nine hour, 10 hour sleep tonight if possible. So sleep is your brain and your body's way of refreshing itself. So when, uh, you know, you might've heard the growth equation is stress plus rest equals growth. Well, what you do during the day is you stress your body, you do workouts, you do high pressure jobs, you have whatever else you have going on in your life, that's stress. Well, if you don't rest, there is no growth. So think about your, maybe, uh, I mean, Nicole and I both have full-time jobs. That's been a little bit uh, altered with telework uh, during the pandemic. But when we're working, we're working eight, nine, 10, Nicole sometimes 18, 18 24 18 to 24 hours, hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, so if you think, if you put yourself in that kind of a situation, you've got two options. You know, the day went long, you got home late, you grab dinner, and by the time you get to bed, you know, it's 10 o'clock, and you've got that 8 a.m. meeting, so you have two options. You can either wake up, go to the meeting, and get maybe eight, seven and a half hours of sleep, or you can wake up at 4 a.m., been there, done that, <laughs> and uh, you can get that workout in beforehand. Well, what that means, you're only getting like six hours of sleep, a little less, and you can probably do that for a few days you can probably do it for quite a few days but unfortunately you're not giving your body the rest that it needs to recover from those sessions because either you're tired beforehand and your session isn't great you know you wake up you get to the track you're groggy i have been so freaking tired out of my mind when i rolled up to the track that i like sat in my car and stared into space (laughs) for like half an hour before i willed myself to try and get out on the track and unsurprisingly my intervals sucked oh we've all been there my guy (laughs) so 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's that or you, you know, you do that hard workout. Maybe you're an afternoon person. You do your afternoon workout. You only grab six hours of sleep afterwards and then you get up the next day. Even if you're not trying to get up and work out right away, your body still doesn't have the time that it needs. It's not building all the muscle that you want it to. It's still damaged. It's tired. It's not doing well. So uh, I think that's a really thing to note is that your body needs sleep in order to recover and your mind as well. So mm-hmm. your deep sleep and your, uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the kinds of sleep in a bit later, but there's basically two kinds, your rapid eye movement or REM, which is kind of your dream sleep. Uh, it's a really interesting, your brain looks like it's awake, but your body is totally still. So it's really cool for researchers getting to look and see what the brain waves look like. Then you have your NREM sleep, so your non-REM sleep, and that is your you have light and deep sleep there. And in your non-REM sleep, think of that as for your body, and your REM sleep is for your brain. There's certainly some crossover, but your non-REM sleep, that is where your body is like passed out, it's healing things, it's fixing things. You know, those heavy squats you just did, that hard bike workout. And when I say heavy squats, I mean like 80 whole pounds. I'm pretty sure my wife can squat more than I can. But uh, so, you know, your NREM sleep, your body is healing itself. Your REM sleep, your brain is healing itself. You're processing. In REM sleep, that's when you're taking things from your short-term memory and pushing them into your long-term memory. So that plays a really key role in dementia and Alzheimer's, which is one of the really great benefits of sleep is it protects you against those kinds of diseases of aging. Same thing with cardiovascular, with diabetes. I mean, sleep is a panacea for all kinds of particularly lifestyle diseases those things that you know sleep actually sleep can help you from getting like hit by a car and things if you're you know tired and uh stumbling into the roadway when you're doing your morning run under your headlamp but you know sleep is a higher sleep volumes is associated with lower all-cause mortality all-cause meaning literally anything from covid to getting hit by cars Sleep helps you avoid those deaths. So is there a portion of uh, this NREM in REM sleep that's divided throughout the night? Is Am I supposed to be getting one more than the other, or is it divided equally down? Does my body know how to divide it, or how does that work? Your body is a genius. Your body knows exactly what you need and will prioritize that. So let's get a little bit into the sleep mechanics here, and we'll talk about how we sleep and why we sleep. So first, uh, before I'll get to your question, on uh, I'm jumping ahead. You are. So we'll talk in a a moment just about how your body balances between non-REM and REM. Uh, And then after that, we will um, dive, or excuse me, before that, we will dive into why do you sleep in the first place? So on our outline, we have written here uh, sleep pressure, which is not something that I'm very familiar with, and I'm sure not a lot of people have heard before. So would you mind explaining what exactly that is? Yeah, so there's two main reasons why we sleep. So first is your sleep pressure, and second is your circadian rhythm. So we'll talk a little bit about sleep pressure first. So you wake up, you're feeling amazing, and you know, you're really feeling it, you have a great day, you got lots of energy, there's a few reasons for that. First thing is in the morning, your resting uh, cortisol is very high. So if you look at cortisol curves throughout the day, cortisol is a little bit higher in the mornings. That's because of your circadian rhythm. So your circadian rhythm increases cortisol production and you know, you're awake, you're feeling great. Uh, cortisol is your stress hormone. So there's a lot that goes on with cortisol throughout the day, but at baseline, your cortisol is highest in the morning. So hold on, cortisol though is supposed to be super bad. Right. No. If you didn't have cortisol, you would die. Okay. (laughs) That's extreme. (laughs) Cortisol is an extremely important hormone for regulating quite a few of your body's processes. So I know there's a lot of, you know, hype in the media. You might see some of those clickbait like cortisol is the reason you're all going to die or like (laughs) reduce your cortisol and add five years to your life. And I think there is certainly something to be said for chronic stress and the way that your body reacts. You know, if you're dealing with chronic long-term high-pressure situations, then that can certainly have negative effects on you. Uh, And we'll get into those
those maybe in later episodes. But for now, let's focus on cortisol and its effect throughout your day. So your cortisol is going to peak in the morning and then it is going to dip a little bit. It'll rise again midday and then it'll hit its lowest point right before you go to bed. So that's your circadian rhythm. That's basically your body's internal clock. And that says, hey, this is what I'm doing. Then throughout the night, so you know, it dips lowest uh, right before bed and then it slowly rises throughout the night. Uh, and then what that means is your cortisol increases up into the point where you wake up in the morning. So we'll hit that uh, a little bit as we talk about being asleep and then waking up. But first, uh, we'll talk about sleep. So let's say, you know, you're, it's nighttime and your cortisol is low. So, you know, that's kind of helping relax you. But other things are pushing you into sleep and that's your sleep pressure. And what happens is at the beginning of the day, in the morning when you wake up, your adenosine is very low. And adenosine, you can think of it as your body's tired chemical. So what happens is it's very low in the morning and it gradually builds up throughout the day. It is just increasing, 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 increasing gradually throughout the day and it peaks right before you go to bed. And the reason why is that is your body's chemical that says, I am tired. <laughs> and for anyone who's ever pulled an all-nighter, you can see an interesting thing with how your circadian rhythm and adenosine work. So if you pull an all-nighter, and let's say there's no caffeine, we'll come to that in a moment, but if you pull an all-nighter, then your adenosine continues to climb. You're not reducing that adenosine through sleep because that is one of sleep's key roles is to reduce that adenosine. So adenosine is rising and it's your all-nighter is probably gonna suck right around nightfall. I mean, there's quite a few reasons it's getting dark, but your sleep pressure is increasing while your circadian rhythm says, I'm really tired. As you continue to pull that all-nighter, you're cramming for your exam, you're writing your essay, doing whatever you procrastinated, <laughs> then when the sun starts to come up, it's gonna feel better. Some of it is because, okay, the sun is up and you know normal human beings are starting to get up again, but the other reason is your circadian rhythm is telling you, hey, it's time to wake up. Your cortisol is increasing, so it makes the tired suck a little bit less. <laughs> but just because it might be 8 a.m., you've slammed another four espressos or an energy drink, you know, you're, you're trying to keep that sleep pressure at bay, it does not mean you are ready to go and it's gonna be a great day, so. Uh, we can talk a bit about that uh, a little bit later, but that adenosine is your body's, I want to go to sleep. It is your body's tired signal. Increase adenosine, increase tired. Then let's talk about initiation. Sorry, do you have a point? And I'm just, I was thinking, I probably don't have any of this aden adenosine stuff. I never seem to uh, feel sleepy, so. Uh, I think you are a night owl, so <laughs> while we're talking circadian rhythm, uh, Nicole is a night owl and I am a morning lark. <laughs> we have some disagreements because yeah, of no, this. No, no, if Nicole had it her way, midnight, one o'clock, she'd start winding down and yeah. uh, get ready to go to bed. And then she'd sleep in until nine or 10. I'm the opposite. So my circadian rhythm, I'm a morning lark. Seven o'clock, all right, time to start going to bed. Time to start winding down. You're like a 75 year old man. <laughs> Just because I want to go to bed early, the only reason I go to bed early is because I want to wake up at 4 a.m. Yeah, My gross. eyes are like awake. I'm ready to go. And, I, you know, it's time to go crush the day. Nothing makes me happier than it's really cold out right now. So not so much now, but in the summers when it's like 4 a.m., I got my headlamp on. I'm like crushing workouts first thing in the morning before work. That's my time. You're crazy. If you look at our Stravas, Nicole's like most active time in 2020's Strava year in review. Nicole's is like 11 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the morning. 11 a.m. is the morning. That's but it like, was noon. Thank you very okay, much. So hers is like noon. 11 o'clock is afternoon to me because my most active time was 4 to 5 a.m. So, so bad. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. No. Owls are better. <laughs> I don't like being more than larks. But anyway, so that's you can have you certainly have difference in genetic circadian rhythms and that you know you can train it a little bit that's what happens when you have jet lag your body was not designed for commercial air travel so when you fly 18 time zones away and you're in australia or taiwan you know your body is not used to that so it has to shift its circadian rhythm 
And you can do that a little bit with your genetic predisposition, but not a ton. Uh, in some ways, you know, we are linked with how the sun is around us. And that's the other piece of sleep pressure is your melatonin. So what happens is in the evenings, as things start to get dimmer, your body produces melatonin. And that happens when your body isn't exposed to blue light. Because before cell phones and TV screens, your body regulated itself very closely to how the sun worked. And even when you know, you're know you awake afterwards, if we have fire or torches and anything like that, it's all a very warm light. So your body sees blue light and it does not produce melatonin. As soon as blue light goes away, then it starts to produce that melatonin. And melatonin is the go-to sleep chemical. It is the sleep initiation chemical, not the stay asleep chemical. And it's also something, I mean, there's melatonin supplements on the market, which uh, are wildly uncontrolled. So the supplement industry is not really controlled. Uh, if you test quite a few of the melatonin supplements on the market, you'll see varying degrees of what's actually on the label versus what's in the pill. And it's also something that you don't really, it's a, we, we definitely argue against taking it if possible. It has a role maybe in jet lag travel, but if you can try and avoid. Yeah, and this is a, an easy fix for us, and maybe it's because we're young or we've, we're experienced in the, the jet lag stuff. We've been to both Australia and Taiwan and had to deal with the jet lag, but the easy fix for us in instances like that is to not take the melatonin. And instead, when we get to our new location, be up with the sunrise and get as much sun as possible. Because like you said earlier, our brains are geniuses. Our bodies are geniuses. They know how to regulate according to the sun. And if you're getting out in the sun the first two or three days that you're in a new location, you're gonna do a lot better than the person who's just trying to sleep away their jet lag. Now, on the other hand, um, the reason why we argue against melatonin is one, it is widely unregulated. And I agree with everything that, you know, they're, they're not accurately listing what's on the label. Um, but on the other hand, especially for women, that is a brain chemical. That is a hormone um, that our body regulates on its own. And if we're introducing more and more and more um, milligrams to our body system it's taking that instead of our body's natural way of producing it instead is just going off of whatever you're giving it it's kind of like pain management you know if you have a headache day after day taking advil becomes your fix um, same with melatonin if you're constantly treating your body with melatonin to get to sleep how are you possibly going to you know produce it yourself eventually and get into a rhythm of not taking something at all to get to bed so it, it's a it's a hormone that is a little bit scary on, on the market right now that I think for um, both of us who kind of borderline that uh, purist mentality of um, trying not to take anything extreme is a, a little bit overboard for those of you trying to get to sleep, which we can talk about near the end here. Yeah. And also for the record, while Nicole talks about going out in the sun, I'm pretty sure she's part lizard because mm -hmm. she really just likes to go and bask in the sun. We were born in Arizona, so we're, we're basically born lizards. So True, but for whatever reason, she enjoys 115 degrees, and I would rather it be 15 than 115. Mm, nasty. But. Lots of uh, compromises in the marriage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Anyway, that's why uh, you might have seen Nicole and I both have uh, like blue light blockers on our phones and our screens. So, you know, it's the modern world and we also live in Colorado, so it's fairly far north. The, it gets dark at like 4.30 in the afternoon. Nicole does not enjoy that. No. And it's you're going to be on your phone or on the TV or computer, yeah. things like that. So while doing that, we have blue light blockers on those things. Um, Excuse me, some people wear the blue light blocker glasses. We just do the yeah. little screen filters. That's a pretty standard app you can download on any phone is to get a blue light blocker. So most phones come with a blue yeah. light blocker Android now. Android and Windows come standard with a blue light blocker or a yeah. night light. Can't speak to Mac and Apple. All right. I'm sure they're on there. I mean, it's, it's such a widely known topic now that... I am sure most phones at least have an app you can download to set a timer for when that uh, blue light blocker kicks in, which ideally should be a couple hours before bed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that also brings us a little bit to 
uh, as you're sleeping and uh, some of the sleep hygiene Nicole will cover later but unfortunately a lot of chargers and plugs and outlets and things have blue or green lights that can very much disturb your sleep because of that so uh, let's talk a little bit about being asleep Nicole let's come back to your question on how does your body regulate NREM versus REM sleep well, your body is a genius and your body knows what it needs most. So in general, your body will have, it sleeps in cycles, roughly 90 minute cycles. And at the beginning of the night, you're going to get more NREM sleep and some REM sleep in each cycle. Then as you go on through the night, you get less NREM and more REM within each cycle. So we're clear here that NREM, we're talking about light and deep sleep. Correct, yes. But not REM sleep. Yes. Okay. And uh, so there's not clear understanding on the scientific literature why this happens, but my hypothesis is your body sleeps in cycles and your body knows it has to get some REM sleep and some NREM sleep. But evolutionarily, your body, you know, our cavemen, they're hearing bumps in the night. Maybe they get woken up by a herd of charging dinosaurs. I'm kidding. Wow. Uh, but, you know, if you only get those six hours, those three hours of sleep, your body wants to have a little bit of NREM and a little bit of REM sleep. And the reason why, so, you know, within each cycle, even at the beginning of the night, you're going to get some REM sleep. And then moreover, the body prioritizes NREM sleep early in the night, REM sleep later in the night. So what that means is your body is prioritizing the body first, mind second, uh, as far as survival goes, which kind of makes sense because again, evolutionary, uh, if you're looking at a charging herd of antelopes or something that you have to go hunt, something that you have to run away from to stay alive. If your brain is wide awake and knows exactly how to get to the escape route, that's all fine and dandy, but if your legs are too tired to move, it's not going to help you. And see, that's really interesting now, though, because we are no longer being run over by herds of antelope or dinosaurs. Um, in fact, I would argue that most people today need more of the REM sleep that that corrects our brain overnight than we do the physical side. If you're not you know, deeply devoted to athletics. Absolutely. And that's another interesting point in how our societies work. Our societies favor early morning blurks. And uh, Nicole's giving me the evil eye for that one. So I'm sorry that I benefit from a society built upon morning larkhood. But what that means is early job starts, early school starts, especially for adolescents whose circadian rhythm naturally shifts to the right. So later in the day, they're adolescents, teenagers, there's a reason why they stay up late and want to sleep in all day mm -hmm. because their circadian rhythm naturally shifts to the right before shifting back to the left as they mature. So what that means is when you're starting school at 7 a.m., then waking those adolescents up, waking us up earlier than our circadian rhythm wants us to means that you're losing out on the REM sleep, not as much on the NREM sleep. So if you short a person, there's some interesting studies, if you short a person's sleep at the beginning of the night, they will get less NREM sleep. And if you short a person's sleep at the end of the night, they'll get less REM sleep. Got it. Yeah, I don't miss those days of uh, being a teenager and having to wake up at 7 a.m. Those were torture. So uh, that's any uh, hypothesis why that is that, you know, teenagers are moving to the right before they move back to the left. And is that anything you've read or researched? There's probably an answer out there, but yeah. I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, it's a little more advanced to kind of hypothesize why that is. But anyway. So... You know, now we've talked a little bit about how you are asleep. Nicole, do you have anything to add before we start talking about how you wake up? Um, nope, I don't think so. I just, uh, from personal experience, and we probably don't need to provide too much experience on our ends because everybody does sleep. Everybody knows what sleep is and what a not good night of sleep is. Um, but one thing that came to mind when you're talking about these 90 minute cycles and these going through these different stages is the um the rings that we wear so jake and i both wear aura rings o-u-r-a um and what those do is they track everything from heart rate variability to how we sleep i think it's focused mostly on the sleep portion um body temperature, uh, respiration rate, and that gives us a whole bunch of feedback on our uh, current state of recovery and current state of physical well-being as we wake up in the mornings. But the cool part of that data is every morning we get to see 
how much time we spent in deep sleep, how much time we spent in light sleep, and how much time we spent in REM sleep. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, it cues us into how hard did we work the day before? Because man, I was asleep, the deep sleep and light sleep all night. I got like 10 minutes of REM sleep. Um, so definitely something to check out if you're a serious athlete is that the aura ring it definitely gives you a little bit more insight into how you're sleeping more than just an app on your phone that maybe you keep on your bed that tracks your movement. Yeah, I think we could probably devote a full podcast to a review or oh, maybe for a sure. blog for uh, the Aura Rings, but something worthwhile to note is even like your Garmin uh, wearable sleep trackers, yeah. those use some HRV, but um, most uh, most sleep trackers are movement-based exclusively, Right. and uh, only the Aura and Whoop are really the Whoop. two wearables that uh, have the best clinical association with sleep data. And it's because they use HRV. So there are very distinct profiles for how your HRV changes during as different stages of sleep. And uh, HRV is your heart rate variability, the time in between your heartbeats. It's not constant and uh, definitely something we'll dive into in the future and how we use that for recovery. For sure. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right on the, for anecdotal evidence, my aura always yells at me because I barely ever get REM sleep or, you know, I'll get 10 minutes or 20 minutes and we were looking at Nicole's data. You know, she gets significantly more um, than I do. My body is just freaking exhausted every day, <laughs> apparently. And my mind is like, what do you do? That's because my brain gets worn out from walking from the bed to the kitchen. So it needs a little bit more rest. <laughs> and then uh, really interesting is we got my dad an aura for mm-hmm. Christmas. And he was complaining that he was not sleeping well. And he just, he was constantly feeling awake and uh, not feeling uh, super well rested in the morning. Well, we got him an aura. And the really interesting thing is he gets a ton of REM sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does doesn't get as much light or deep sleep as Nicole or I do, and I think his total quantity is maybe a little lower than ours, uh, which is natural in aging. Uh, we'll, I'll come back to that in a second, but uh, yeah, his REM sleep is super high, and that could explain why he, you know, he has rem- he remembers being awake in the middle of the night. Excuse me, but that could well just be him dreaming in REM sleep. Yeah. And uh, on the topic of dreams, before we talk into aging, uh, dreams mostly occur in REM sleep. However, dreams also occur in NREM, which is really interesting because uh, in clinical research trials with subjects in like total sleep monitoring, so we're talking pristine chamber hooked up to EKGs, like researchers see everything, everything is very accurate. And they've done experiments where they suppress REM sleep and only look at NREM data. Well, people still dream in NREM, which is really interesting, though the majority of dreams and certainly the most vivid dreams happen in REM. For sure. And uh, for all those book nerds out there who are wanting um, a little bit more of that science piece or a little bit where our facts are coming from, a lot of what we're pulling right now um, is out of Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Um, so we'll attach a link to this podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, also coming back to age, we know uh, anecdotally, I mean, you always heard of the uh, the old folks early bird special and uh, Nicole always makes fun of me. She's like, oh, you should go to the Lubies and get their like, get their diner buffet. I have never said that. <laughs> okay, I had the Lubies part, but um, well, there's a reason why there's a stigma around as we age, people sleeping less, wanting to go to bed earlier and waking up earlier. Well, the reason for that is your circadian rhythm does drift to the left as you age, but it is also, uh, it is not true that as you age, you need less sleep. So this is a normal versus okay. So just because something is normal does not mean that it is good. So. Unfortunately, we do see a decrease in sleep quantity and quality as you age, and that is common across the spectrum, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. So I think that's uh, similar to our last topic, you know, talking about females without a menstrual cycle in athletics. It is unfortunately common, but that does not mean it's okay. Right. Yeah, I agree. 
So coming back to our sleep dynamics and talking about how we wake up, we hit it a little bit, but we have increases in cortisol and you had that cortisol is your body's signal for it's time to get up, it's time to get up. Some of that also comes with how your room is oriented. So particularly if you've got sunlight coming into your room, if you have an east facing room or uh, depending on how the light comes into your house, then those signals, although your eyes are closed, your eyes are interpreting through your eyelids. So they see, you know, if you close your eyes and look into the sun, it's kind of a warmer feeling. Um, well, that means that your body is interpreting that as a, it's time to get up. The sun is up and it's time to get up. And uh, with that, I think that's a good segue for Nicole to start talking about sleep hygiene and how we can improve our sleep. You know, we've, We've given you the doom and gloom. We told you that if you don't sleep enough or if your sleep quality isn't good, then you're at a higher risk for diabetes, for heart disease, for dementia. It, and then for the athletes, of course, you're going to have uh, reduced athletic training and performance. Well, okay, the good news is we can change that. And some of that comes from sleeping more. Uh, as far as the time uh, times you wanna sleep, eight to 10 hours. It's sometimes a very hard bill for athletes, particularly for athletes working a full career and working uh, maybe eight or nine or uh, 14 hours days. But yeah, that time is important. And then let's talk a little bit about quality, Nicole. Yeah, and something you said about uh, our eyelids interpreting the light uh, behind our actual eyelids, that's crazy because what that means for us is if we're keeping lights on as we sleep, if we have a television on, if we have a street light coming in through our window, all night long our body is interpreting that as, hey, maybe it's time to get up. There's some light coming in right now. Uh, and that's super unfortunate and that's why um, if we look back a long time ago, you know, of course our ancestors didn't have street lights or, you know, they lived out in the middle of nowhere where it was completely dark. You didn't have any of that ambient lighting from anywhere. Um, but now our society is so driven to be up at all hours um, that we have lights on all the time. Um, the power of electricity is just one of those things that, you know, we have it so it's on or we keep a TV on or we keep something on that's distracting our brain from getting the good night of sleep that it needs. Now, the, the hygiene piece is a lot of super simple stuff that we can do tonight. We don't have to commit to a three-month-long program to get a better night of sleep. Um, and the first one that I want to point out we kind of already talked about is the blue light filters, those blue light blockers. Um, it's an app on your phone. It's a setting on your phone. Heck, it's even maybe turning off your phone an hour or two before you go off to bed um, and committing to something that doesn't involve electronic light. So um, the way Jake and I kind of interpret this is uh, no phones, no TV, no laptops, no iPads. Um, and if you want to read, stick to a physical book um, instead of uh, maybe a like, I know Kindle, Kindle some of them, yeah, some of them have those um, blue lights coming out of them um, that your body isn't uh, creating melatonin in conjunction with anymore. Yeah, and Nicole, maybe you want to share uh, something we've been doing recently before bed as a way to improve sleep quality and as something, you know, what am I going to do without my phone? Are we talking about meditating? Yeah, we are. Talking okay. About <laughs> yeah, we did. We've tried a lot of different things for um, kind of calming our brains before we get to sleep. And the most recent one, and probably the most effective one for us, um, is setting aside at least half an hour to go meditate. We set up a space in our home to go be quiet before bedtime. We get in our PJs. We go upstairs. We have cushions and um, pillows, and just kind of a place to sprawl out um, to kind of check our you know, our, where we're at at the end of the day. Um, I use an app called Calm. Um, it gives you a free seven-day trial. And then after that, of course, you have to pay for it. Um, but it's been proved really useful in just coming down from the day. There's lots of different options for quote-unquote bedtime stories that kind of calm you down, take you to a different place in your mind. Um, they have tutorials on how to meditate if you're not experienced in that area. Um, or even, you know, Jake doesn't use the Calm app as much as I do, but what he does is he just sits there in, in the quietness. I'm not really sure what you think about or what you do, so I can't speak to uh, how you meditate. Um, but it's been a really great option for just shutting out what's happened in 
the the hours preceding that moment. Yeah, yeah. and I just do uh, breath work. So I'm sitting, I'm focusing on my breath. You know, if your brain doesn't have something to focus on, then it tends to wander. Yeah. Even if you are focusing on your breath, then it's, especially for uh, people just starting to meditate, it's going to wander. My brain still wanders all the time. But you just... As you see your brain wander, then you bring it back, refocus on your breath, and then uh, try and use that as something to keep your brain still. I mean, you'd think 60,000 thoughts a day is uh, the number I've heard. So if you can reduce that, if you can take 10 minutes to think 12 thoughts, even if it's 100 thoughts that you just bring back to your breath, then that's still significantly less than most of the day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. And um your mind wandering during meditation is totally fine. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you or that you need to be a yoga master right away that's meditating for five hours every morning. Um, it just means that you're a human being and our brains tend to do that. So um, maybe something to try out if you're into something like that. Um, just kind of calming your your brain down before you go to sleep so that your body can actively send those hormones and send those signals to your brain that it is in fact time to go to sleep. So uh, back to back to the sleep hygiene. Um, oh, I know we've talked a little bit about lights in your room. Can you maybe share some of what we've done to black out our rooms? Yeah, so we've lived in a couple different locations so far and uh, in each place we've put up blackout curtains. Um, so they're heavier curtains that completely black out whatever light is coming in through your window. And in our first location where we were living, we did have quite a few street lights. Uh, we lived in an apartment complex, so those lights surrounding the garages and um, kind of in the downstairs level seeped in through our window. So it was really crucial that we did get a good blackout in our room. Um, on another topic of lights in our room, we tend to put our cell phones uh, inside our bedside drawers um, so that any lights coming off of those or if someone texts you in the middle of the night and your screen lights up, it's not affecting you in any way. Um, and then my personal favorite, um, anywhere we move or anywhere we've been, the little uh, fire um, alarm that sits on the you know, on the wall or on the ceiling, it always flashes and that drives me completely bonkers. Um, so I always ask Jake to cover at least the light up with a little bit of tape just to kind of limit um, everything coming in. Um, and for the record and for the fire marshal, we leave, <laughs> yeah, all, of, you know, we leave we everything, leave everything <laughs> all the smoke sensors yeah. are open. I'm just taping over the little light. Yeah, because the light's super annoying. Um, so as my, if you can imagine... Um, in a room that you can't see anything, the ideal lightness level when you're going to sleep is ideally you should not be able to see your hand in front of your face. That should be the test. And that's wait a few minutes, let your eyes adjust yeah. to the darkness because you might shut off a light and you're like, oh yeah, my room is super dark. It's great. Well, if you wake up in the middle of the night after you've been asleep for an hour or if you just close your eyes or sit in the dark room for five minutes, your eyes will adjust and suddenly, amazingly, you'll be able to see things. I think uh, if, if you've ever done this in a hotel room, that is the worst for flashing lights yeah. and car lights and parking lots. And we seldom have good blackout curtains there. So I think if you've ever walked into a hotel room, you probably turn off the lights and say, wow, that's really bright. Yeah. And uh, for scientific purposes, um, it takes 20 minutes for your eyes to adjust to complete darkness. So, um, you know, try it out. Maybe meditate in your room as you're sitting in complete blackout and um, at the end of your meditation, uh, figure out if that's a, a dark enough, you know, level of light for you to go to sleep to. So what else can we do? Um, so ours is kind of unique. Um, we use uh, sunrise alarm clocks, which are a really cool thing to buy. Um, they're not super expensive anymore because they've gained in popularity. Um, but all they do is they, you know, 10 minutes before your alarm goes off, they start to light up a bit just as the sun would in your room. This is really great for winter or for anybody living super far north. And it's always dark. Um, but they gradually get lighter until your alarm goes off um, and it wakes your brain up in a similar way to as if the sun were coming up. So and it's, it's a little just, less brutal. Yes. Yeah. So much less jarring than having that. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just giving a heart attack just thinking about it. 
Um, and then a couple of other things um, that we found successful is, uh, for me, weighted blankets work really well. They reduce how much I move. I tend to be a really thrashy sleeper. Um, you know, I stay on my side of the bed, unlike my husband over here. But She says that. Um, yeah, okay. Um, but the weighted blanket kind of keeps me um, really close to the bed, really feels protected, um, and gets me to sleep a lot faster than if I didn't have it. And so, Nicole, tell me, <laughs> what's the ideal sleep temperature? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um, ideal sleep temperature is under 68 degrees. Um, you can go anywhere from about 61-ish to 68. Um, I really like a warm room, um, and I'm sure tons of other people do too, so I'm not the only one out there. Um, I love a warm room, but it's not ideal. Um, and the best way to combat that is get the temperature down to, you know, if you can stand 65, do 65, which is kind of about where our bedroom level sits with kind of, uh, we've got radiant heating, um, and then cover up with blankets. Um, and I think some of the benefit of sleeping at that colder temperature is the blankets and the warmth that you kind of have internal, kind of like a weighted blanket that yeah. you describe. I think that might be some of the benefit. But uh, yeah, so Nicole, if she could, she would sleep in 85. And if I could, I would sleep in 55. Ooh. So we strike the balance about 65 to 67. She has three blankets and I have a sheet. Yeah, and another good um, a tip for those trying to reduce the, uh, the room temperature, put the temperature down half an hour before you go to sleep so that it's a nice level once you actually get to sleep. Um, and then try to limit, this is where I, <laughs> I have a challenge, try to limit how many blankets you're using because then you just kind of, if you have 10 blankets on you and but it's 65 in your room, you're kind of canceling out the benefit of your body cooling off enough to have a great night of sleep. So try that sheet and maybe a, you know, a light blanket and if that's not quite enough try something a little heavier but don't go overboard with your blankets um, and then last but not least um, some of the little optional things that we found helpful is things like aromatherapy if you have a diffuser if you're into something like that try a really nice lavender smell or something that makes you sleepy something that calms you down this is where I need a lot of help because I don't like going to bed at 8 p.m. Um, or nighttime sounds the calm app actually has a lot of nighttime sounds as well crickets forest sounds, rain, something to kind of help you drift off to sleep. So there's a lot of options here um, for good sleep hygiene, but I'd say absolutely the most important is that room temperature um, and then the blocking out of all lights, uh, including your blue lights before you go to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing, Nicole, and thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for sharing, livening. Jake. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thanks for livening up the uh, doom and gloom of yeah. you need to sleep more, and this is why you should have good quality sleep. Yeah. So um, I think with that, we are about done with uh, this podcast. Um, there's plenty more to talk about on sleep. Um, so of course, we'd love your suggestions or questions, anything that you have uh, in mind that you'd like to hear for future episodes. We will happily take um but in any case we'll probably talk about it in the future again yeah and thanks so much for watching and for listening and we really appreciate uh likes shares subscribes yeah all right everyone have a great week and we'll see, see you next time. week